I'm your host, David Nage. This is Baselayer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Baselayer podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of ARCA, where David Nage is a principal. ARCA is not responsible and does not verify for accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast series available for listening. The primary purpose of this podcast series is to educate and inform. The podcast series does not constitute financial advice or other professional advice or services. Please do your own research. This podcast is presented by Blockworks Group one of the best digital asset event and media production companies that I know of. For exclusive content and events that provide insight into digital assets, visit them at blockworksgroup.io. You won't be disappointed. This is David, and this is your new episode of Baselayer. Really, really excited about this. A long time in the making, but I have Robert Leshner, the founder of Compound, with me today. Robert, how are you? Doing great. It is great to finally be with Robert. Uh, I've been monitoring Compound for quite some time as this world of decentralized finance or open finance, whatever you want to call it these days, uh, has really exploded Uh, just today looking at one of the sites that we look at on a regular basis, DeFi Pulse. The total value locked in some of these new platforms has exceeded $3 billion, which is almost 3x more. Uh, than it was at the end of April of this year. So an absolute Cambrian explosion and interest in this space. And Robert has been at the very crux of that. So we're going to talk a lot about that. Before we get too far into all of that, uh, I want to talk, as everyone knows, that the founders and the people that come on my show come from very extensive backgrounds, and yours is no different. And so if you could give us a little bit of background, you were a principal at HPM Partners, a product leader Postmates, and also the co-chair of the San Francisco Revenue Bond Oversight Committee, which is really interesting, uh, especially in a COVID world. So what I always like to know is that through the body of work that you've had in your professional career, what drew you into digital assets? Yeah, it's a great question. So for me, I started off in traditional finance. Um, You know, at the beginning of my career, I was an interest rate economist at a bank, and I spent a lot of time, um, you know, in traditional finance. I observed uh, Bitcoin emerge from zero to where it is today. And what really drew me into um, the world of crypto and where we are today was actually um, Ethereum starting to gain market share. Um, I've always been impressed by digital assets and cryptography, but for me, the ability to deploy smart contracts, which automate the movement and programmability of assets and wealth was extremely exciting. And um, that was really like the aha moment where I could sort of apply sort of traditional um, financial market experience with an entirely new technology. That's super interesting. And so as my show is really focused on a group of people that are outside of the digital asset landscape out of this, what I call a sandbox which has been developing for many years now, there are thousands of investors out there that are still trying to get their heads wrapped around everything that's happening. They're starting to understand what Bitcoin is finally. They're still asking lots of questions about that, though. 
they are starting to get an idea that there is a new burgeoning asset class out there. And, uh, you know, obviously to the contradiction to some of the institutional banks out there, this is an asset class, as I always like to say. And so if you were sitting with, you know, a group of folks out there that are just starting to get into this world, that are just starting to understand, you know, Bitcoin and some of the fundamental tenets of digital assets, how would you describe Compound to them? Yeah, so I'd start by, you know, backing up and going really high level, right? Bitcoin is a currency. And in a lot of ways, it competes as a unit of exchange and value. Um, a lot of the things that are happening in DeFi and open finance uh, are entirely different. Um, they're not analogous to cryptocurrencies. What they're doing is they're using a blockchain to run computer programs. Uh, these are called smart contracts. And these are used to uh, program um, financial applications and financial products. And it's an entirely different sort of space within crypto. Um, you know, a lot of traditional finance runs on traditional contracts and agreements. Um, you know, a lot of the ways that assets trade, move, are swapped, exchanged, lent, borrowed, you know, all these derivatives, all of that exists in traditional finance based on agreements. In DeFi, you know, rather than using a lot of paperwork or um, other structures, everything is handled through computer code um, that's deployed onto a blockchain so that everyone can see um, how it works, what um, the rules are, you know, what the functions are, and they're open because it exists on a blockchain. Anyone in the world can interact with these contracts. And so instead of finance, you know, it's a nebulous concept running, you know, the way it does today, which is agreements, it's relationships, it's, you know, everything from, you know, trading on an exchange to entering into like a is an agreement. Um, it all happens on a blockchain where the rules are known, they're fair, it's open, and it's transparent. Right. And so in this world that we're building, uh, actually in real time, and I will say we people are building this thing real time and we're adapting to it and we're evolving it and we're writing the rules to it at the same time. A lot of people who have been holding certain digital assets such as Bitcoin, Ethereum, and some of the others out there really have not been able to use it besides just holding it as a speculative asset. Um, and what has happened with the world of decentralized finance, open finance, whatever you want to call it again, is this idea of making those assets productive. And so I want to discuss this. You guys wrote this. The market for digital assets has developed into a vibrant ecosystem of investors, speculators, and traders exchanging thousands of digital assets. Unfortunately, the sophistication of financial markets hasn't followed. Participants have little capacity of trading the time value of assets. So specifically, what has Compound built to address that issue? And, you know, there's a few other different questions, but let's talk about that for first and foremost. Yeah. So I, I actually recognize that uh, as coming from the Compound white paper in 2018. Um, so, you know, where we were in 2018 is very different from where we are um, in 2020. So in 2018, you had lots of people trading crypto. Um, and almost all of it was done through uh, crypto exchanges. And that's mostly where the state of the industry was at that point. And what we didn't see were more advanced crypto financial products really emerging. And we didn't see people leveraging this superpower of being able to interact using smart contracts on a blockchain. So 
you know, our vision was that we would use these smart contracts, which allow two parties or 2,000 parties to, you know, conduct business with each other. Um, and we decided to use this to create an interest rate market for these crypto assets. Um, the entire thing runs on the Ethereum blockchain. So any asset that is issued on Ethereum can be able to be interoperable with this market. And we created um, a space for parties to either earn an interest rate on one of these assets or borrow the asset at the given interest rate. And the entire entire process is trying to create, you know, in essence, uh, a new financial service, which is interest. And um, since then, we've seen, you know, this start to flourish where people are actually able to capture um, an interest rate, whether they're borrowing or supplying the asset. And, you know, we had to make a couple innovations to adapt um, a financial market to a blockchain uh, mm -hmm. because blockchains are somewhat cumbersome still, um, you know, they're not as fluid or dynamic as you might think or hope. Um, and so we had to make some innovations in order for this to even be feasible. Um, so there's a couple of things that are unique to a compound interest rate market that are not necessarily the sort of like traditional financial market analogy um, where, you know, it runs a little bit differently. So the way these interest rates run on compound is they're entirely algorithmically derived. So there's no order book, there's no negotiation um, all of the market participants, you know, either participate or don't participate in this market, either supplying liquidity or borrowing liquidity. And the protocol um, derives an interest rate for everybody. It's a prevailing interest rate. Um, there's no bids. There's no offers. It's either I want to earn the prevailing rate or borrow at the prevailing rate. And the protocol handles the rest. And so it's a really interesting new um, and simple financial product that um, is running on chain today. A few different questions there, but we're going to talk about this a little bit more. And so the protocol obviously is kind of the, the brain of everything. It's setting the interest rates, as you alluded to. And while we didn't necessarily discuss this at the onset, but I want to talk about this a little further. So the protocol must be fed by certain data streams, oracles, if you will, correct? Uh, a few. Uh, most of it's actually contained within the protocol. So the basic concept of it, is it uses supply and demand to set an interest rate. And it's really the supply that comes into the protocol and the demand that comes into the protocol itself. So most of the data is internal. Got it. And so for those that are, again, outside of this box and that are learning about it, when they hear about lending or they hear about collateralization and some of the tenants of what's happening right now in DeFi, they are used to certain components of that. They're used to a custodian holding assets, or they're used to having other, you know, kind of middle, you know, middlemen, if you will, um, intermediaries that are in there uh, to protect assets. Where are the assets for those that are learning about this? If you are going on a compound or some of the other platforms out there, well, you know, obviously specify for compound. If someone is lending or you know placing their digital assets on Compound, where is that usually held? That's a great question. And this does function extremely differently um, than people are used to. Everything is held by these programs on the blockchain. They're not held by you know, a company. They're not held by me. They're not held by you know, another user. They're held in this you know, smart contract or computer program that stores the assets. 
Um, and the rules of how it operates and how it stores the assets and how it unlocks the assets and how it moves the assets uh, comprises the protocol. And, um, you know, it's autonomous. It doesn't require, you know, any human um, involvement to operate it. And it's essentially like, you know, a robotic process to manage these assets. Got it. So we're going to dig a little bit deeper into this now. So in February, you wrote at Compound, our goal is to create financial infrastructure that applications and developers can rely on forever. To get there, we intend to fully decentralize the Compound protocol, removing the largest single point of failure, quote unquote, our team, and creating an indestructible open protocol that can evolve in entirely new ways. And for those that are unfamiliar with this, there is a concept called the DAO, Decentralized Autonomous Organization. The move towards a DAO model has been something that many of us who have been in this for multiple years have been talking about for a while. Um, and we're seeing this evolve faster over the last year. So if you could talk to us about the complexity of doing this, moving from what traditional people would see more of a centralized a management team, a operating board, a board of advisors to a DAO. How, how much of a difference is that? Well, it's a big difference. And I'll start with, you know, I think hopefully an easier analogy, which is Bitcoin and how Bitcoin works. So, you know, Bitcoin and the way in which it's transferred, the rules of it are really enforced by miners. Um, you know, if all of the miners out there agree to a different set of characteristics of Bitcoin or run a different version of the software, Bitcoin itself is different. And it's really, you know, changed and upgraded by miners agreeing to change the rules of the protocol. When we launched Compound, the rules of the protocol were defined by the development team and the company that created it to start, which is simple. It's a very you know, easy way to get a system off the ground, especially if it's extremely new and extremely novel. What we've done is we've transferred the decision-making to a decentralized, you know, unaffiliated group of token holders, similar to the miners in Bitcoin. And there's now this dispersed decision-making on how to upgrade or change the rules of the protocol. Um, and the entire thing is run on the blockchain and the entire thing is done through sort of like a code-driven process. You know, if, you know, I have a strong opinion or, you know, if I go on vacation permanently, the protocol continues to operate and can continue to be upgraded in this distributed, you know, decision-making process. And some people call that a DAO. Um, I don't love that term, um, but you know, really, it's like distributed decision making. Right. I'm going to talk about distributed, you know, kind of decision making and governance. So, Comp, um, which is an ERC20 asset that empowers community governance of the Compound protocol. So, Comp token holders and their delegates debate, propose, and vote on all the changes to the protocol. Anybody with 1% of comp delegated to their address can propose a governance action. And so what I would love for people to understand, again, is in this new kind of innovation, if you will, of running an organization, running a project or company, what can those people, what can those holders, what kind of actions can they vote on? Yeah, so the token holders are the distributed decision-making process for the protocol. Um, and they can change the protocol really in any way they want. They have complete 100% unfettered control of the protocol and the direction of it, just like the miners have complete control of Bitcoin. Now, it doesn't mean it's going to change significantly or quickly. Um, and, you know, any 
parameter or any contract in the protocol can be upgraded. So new assets and new markets can be added. You know, the token holders can create an interest rate for an entirely new asset, or they can modify the way that the protocol works, where they might change the algorithm that defines the interest rates in a given market. And all of this is done um, on chain, and all of it's done in a way in which it's transparent. All of the decisions, all of the debate, all of the outcomes are uh, visible both on the blockchain forever um, mm -hmm. and through you know data portals. Right. And so, it, just oh, to keep, keep talking for a second, though, it's kind of like analogous to traditional corporate governance, right? We all have shares of stock. We rarely vote our proxies. Um, we oftentimes, you know, delegate our proxies to you know somebody else. Um, whether it's through a broker or, you know, a voting service. Um, and, you know, decisions are made at corporations in a similar way where, you know, these shares or tokens or however what you want to think of them lead to governance decisions. What comprises the board of directors? You know, who does, you know, how does the corporation function? It's very analogous. The only difference is it's run entirely on chain. Right. And you kind of alluded to that and already kind of addressing that question. But, you know, what I was going to ask is that, you do have some very pronounced and some great institutional investors that are already part of this that own anywhere between, you know, three and a half to four percent of comp. And so, you know, I was kind of curious for those that are trying to understand this, does that four percent have a louder voice than the one percent? In the same way that, you know, a miner with four percent of the hash rate of Bitcoin has a louder voice than a miner with 0.1 percent. Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, because it's proportional to influence. Um, you know, one of the goals that we have is that, you know, the upgrading of the protocol will be somewhat boring. It'll be slow. It'll be out in the open. It'll be transparent. Um, and it'll be, you know, hopefully over time more and more professionalized. Um, you know, I imagine in 10 years, you know, the upgrades to the protocol is an extremely deliberative process. And so we actually like the idea that there's, you know, meaningful, um, you know, representation. Mm -hmm. And it's actually done in a uh, extremely... Um, you know, dynamic fashion. So one of the th really, really cool things about the governance process that we've designed for the protocol is that any token holder can delegate their votes to anybody else. So, you know, a significant holder of uh, the governance tokens can actually say, hey, this person in the community or David or whoever is really intelligent, actually has like really good ideas on how to, you know, maintain and upgrade the protocol over time. I'll just delegate all my votes to them while keeping ownership of the token and, you know, keeping control of my tokens. And so over time, David can have more and more influence and more and more uh, sway over the direction of the protocol, regardless of how many tokens he originally owns. And in that process, if David starts screwing up, for instance, obviously, I hope I would not, but if I was and I was not actually doing my job or actually putting, obviously, specific improvements to the protocol that we're helping, could that delegation be removed? Absolutely. You know, I, I think of it as somewhat analogous to like a proxy voting service where I think over time you're going to get like extremely good, you know, um, you know, diligent professional governance of the protocol, like consolidated into like a number of players who are, you know, um, very focused on long-term stewardship. Got it. And so one of the areas that has really exploded and yes it is a meme and i know that you might not necessarily love the meme but it's one that's out there 
is something called yield farming. And so for the next four years, Compound is offering liquidity mining for liquidity providers. And that means anyone that borrows or supplies assets on Compound in this span will, will be rewarded with a proportional allocation of comp of which about 2,880 are distributed daily. And so yield farming is a meme, again, that you know folks who measure yield as the amount of interest that's grown atop underlying digital assets like DAI, USDC, and USDT when put to use in DeFi platforms such as Compound. So discuss all of this as it relates to Compound. I know that you've been very public alerting people that this is, and I quote from a tweet, very dangerous to do with volatile assets and do not put customer fund into a leveraged, for instance, one of the digital assets out there for brave bat yield farming carry trade. So one of the things that I've been very concerned about, and again, I want you to talk about the the world of yield farming as it relates to compound. But one of the things I've been very concerned about uh, is that this is creating some level of systemic risk in the market. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. So great question. Um, you know, when we launched this distribution of comp tokens, we obviously didn't anticipate um, what would happen next. We were basically, you know, for the very first time coming up with a novel method of getting governance tokens in the hands of users um, as a form of increasing the amount of uh, community uh, voice in the governance process. Um, you know, it was kind of like a first of its kind uh, methodology to distribute tokens directly to users. And there was definitely some unplanned or unexpected things that occurred afterwards, like this meme of yield farming sort of coming into existence. Um, you know, for background, for years, people have been using the Compound Protocol for yield. You know, we think of it as being generally like a risk-free rate for crypto assets. Um, and for years, people have been supplying, you know, excess liquidity into the Compound Protocol to earn whatever the prevailing interest rate is. Um, this is normal. This has been going on for years. That's the entire purpose of the protocol is to capture, you know, this um, floating short-term interest rate. And when we launched this token distribution, you know, we didn't really anticipate there being a market or a robust market for the asset, but very quickly people, you know, assigned value to this governance rate and this governance token. And we're able to sort of calculate, um, you know, the amount of tokens they would receive for using the protocol and how it fits into, you know, their effective yield. You know, in addition to receiving interest by using Compound, all the users also get these governance tokens. And so very quickly this meme emerged where people started using Compound just for the governance tokens, um, where, you know, they didn't really care what the interest rates, you know, were. They just wanted to get governance tokens. Um, a lot of them wanted to turn around and sell governance tokens <laughs> um, once they received them. And this is what yield farming is. It's using a product or service not to you know, capture the underlying economics of it, which is what people have been doing for years, but to you know, as aggressively as possible farm the governance token that gets created. Um, since we did this, you know, there's lots of other DeFi protocols distributing you know, um, some type of protocol token or governance token or utility token or who knows what token um, to users. Um, having seen the success of this. Um, and it's definitely a massive surprise to us. You know, I didn't, I don't think the yield farming phrase even existed um, prior to this 
uh, token distribution. So it's definitely changed how people think about interacting with DeFi applications. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it does create risk. Um, you know, at this point in DeFi, there's like this hot ball of capital that's running around chasing, you know, these farming opportunities whenever protocol pops up next. And right. I think it does add a different speculative dynamic, uh, which isn't necessarily healthy. Um, you know, the purpose of this in my mind is truly to put governance rights in the hands of the users directly and coming up with a fair and free mechanism uh, to do so. And it's sort of morphed into this, you know, uh, powerful meme, which everyone is now paying attention to. It's exciting. The, you know, community is wild about it, but I don't think it's necessarily, you know, the right long-term structure for um, distributing governance to users. Right. And as I alluded to at the end of April, there was about $832 million that was total value locked. And now we're at 3.3 billion. And that was in about three months. So you've had almost over a 3x growth in that. And yield farming obviously has been a component of that as people have been looking at that. I'm also curious your, your, your thoughts on this, Robert, about die. Um, Dai has been something that have been we've talked about a lot on the show. It had some issues in March, but now we're seeing, especially on Compound, hundreds of millions of dollars of Dai being lent. Um, actually, more than it might actually in terms of. Uh, I think there's about 345 million dollars worth out there, and I think in terms of what's happening on Compound, it's it's actually more than that. And so, any thoughts on Dai, especially being used in this market right now on Compound? Yeah, so DAI is a stable coin which is created um, through this uh, decentralized um, staking process where people stake F and can borrow DAI against it through the MakerDAO uh, ecosystem. Um, because the entire process exists on a blockchain, um, it doesn't require you know, funds to be held offline or in a bank account or in a custodian, uh, like a lot of other stable coins. The entire stablecoin is native to the Ethereum blockchain. And that's really cool. Um, I've been a longtime fan of DAI for exactly that reason. It exists entirely on the blockchain. And because of that, it's been extremely popular within Compound, both as an asset that earns an interest rate or is borrowed, and for this concept, as you know, we mentioned before, of yield farming. Um, because the entire thing exists on chain, uh, it's become an extremely popular asset to you know, attempt to use to capture as many governance tokens as possible. Got it. And last question before we just get to know you a little bit better. In the grand scheme of things, you know, there are many more players in this world of DeFi today than there were even a year ago. And do you think in terms of your position in the market that it's, you know, one boat is kind of the rising tide brings everyone up? Or do you think that there are some other players in the space that are kind of more copacetic, more harmonious to compound? What do you think about the overall state of the the platforms out there on DeFi in terms of your competitors? Yeah. So the way I think about this is, you know, compound is a project that's, you know, been in development since 2017 and has been live since 2018. And it's taken two years to build and launch a protocol, which is designed for stability. It's designed for security, and it's designed to be an extremely robust and secure way to earn an interest rate or borrow a crypto asset, period. Um, and 
what we've started to see emerge extremely rapidly is sort of the opposite of that, where there's a lot of projects that are, you know, trying to launch without the same discipline um, towards security and towards safety. And, you know, cu- coupled with, you know, this explosion of yield farming, um, it's going to lead to at least one calamity, um, you know, and, you know, traditional financial markets have had dozens or hundreds of calamities over the last couple centuries. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point, you know, decentralized finance will have its own calamities. Um, you know, the combination of, you know, greed and, you know, uh, a lack of uh, diligence and research in a lot of new projects is, you know, unsustainable. Uh, there's going to be blowups, there's going to be um, consequences. And so, you know, I, you know, don't really mind um, a lot of new products that are emerging personally. Um, I just stay away from them. Um, you know, the only thing I care about is, you know, you know, making sure that compound is going to be here in a hundred years. Um, everything else that sort of emerges along the way is inconsequential. Um, and, you know, we continue to try to build just like an extremely safe, robust, and in a lot of ways, boring platform um, for any application or institution or exchange or wallet to earn an interest rate from idle crypto assets on. And that's it. Um, you know, a lot of the other bells and whistles out there are, you know, interesting, um, but I think um, aren't really within our focus. Got it. And so let's have a little fun now. Uh, as we're wrapping up, it is our time to learn about you. Um, and two areas that we'd like to talk about uh, and specifically are things that you may be reading, either books or articles or anything that you've come across recently that really resonated with you. Something where you would say to a friend or a family member, hey, this is awesome. You got to read this. And then any music that you like. Oh, great question. Um, right now, I'm about 45 pages into Soft War. It's a book about Larry Ellison and Oracle. Um, so far, it's extremely exciting. You know, don't spoil it if you know what happens next, because I don't. I'm only 45 pages in. <laughs> um, but I, I really like business books, um, you know, that are biographical in nature um, or not. Um, you know, the sort of like Venn diagram between business and people and the real world is extremely exciting. Um, prior to this, I just read Shoe Dog um, about Nike and Phil Knight. Amazing book. Uh, just truly fantastic. Um, other books I've read, you know, recently that are in the same like zone, um, the prize it's about, uh, the oil business, phenomenal book. Um, that's really what I like to read is, you know, sort of this Venn diagram of business and people and the real world. Um, and in terms of music, uh, you know, fun fact, I'm actually really into opera. I'm kind of an opera buff, which, you know, I also love classic rock, but, um, I'm also like an in-person opera fan, you know, season ticket holder of the opera, love going, uh, love Mozart operas. Uh, they're always the most fun and funniest. Um, and, you know, you know, uh, try to encourage others to actually get into the opera as well. I think you are the first person that has come on here talking about that. That is awesome. So kudos to you on that. One of the last things that we'd like to do is for our guests to tell everyone who's listening, where can they find out more about Compound? And if they want to, where can they start interacting with Compound? Yeah, that's a great question. So you can learn more at compound.finance. It's a great kicking off point to learning more about the project, the protocol, the community, the governance system. Um, You know, follow the links to governance, which you know, it's like a whole little democracy. Um, follow the link to markets. You can see, 
you know, all of these new financial markets we've created and the billions of dollars that are in them. And, you know, do your research before using any new product. Um, I'm not going to shell compound. Um, in a lot of ways, it's meant for institutions and developers to build on top of. Uh, but if you really want to, you know, interact with these markets yourself, um, if you have an Ethereum address, you can visit app.compound.finance to interact with the protocol. Awesome. This was Robert Leshner, the founder of Compound. Thank you for coming on. It was long overdue, and hopefully we can catch up with you again in a few months and see how everything's growing at Compound. That sounds great. David, thank you for having me on the show. Thanks for listening in to Baselayer. If you like the show and all the different guests that we've brought on, please give a like and subscribe on Apple or Spotify or wherever you do listen to the podcast. Also, if you want to have a conversation or reach out to me, you can reach me out on Twitter at David J. Nage. And let's talk there. Or also you can find me on LinkedIn. And I look forward to having great conversations with you all about digital assets.